And as I came into my uh, sexuality, I had to figure out everything on via television and media, which wasn't really a lot, especially if you're for black queer love. And so I went through my life by trial and error. Um, and so I started having sex as a teenager. Um, I don't want to get too personal, but you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jerry Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director at The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, are you sexually satisfied? Bow wow, bitches, bow wow. Uh, so I can't wait to talk about sex, but before we talk about sex, let's have a really serious conversation because last week um, there was a very uh, huge ruling in Pennsylvania and uh, comedian actor Bill Cosby was released from prison on the technicality. Um, and so let's get into it first for those I'm sure the whole world has been watching this story. And essentially, it came down to testimony that Bill Cosby gave um, in 2004 or 2005 in the initial case in the Andrea Constant case. And uh, the prosecutor uh, made an agreement with Cosby that if he did this uh, interview, this testimony, that it would not be used against him. And that testimony was used in uh, the prosecution of Bill Cosby, which is why he has served uh, over two years in prison um, and now has been released. He is a free citizen. He cannot be recharged for, for this for this particular crime. Um, and many people, uh, so there are people who feel differently on both sides. There are people who feel like Bill Cosby has been vindicated. Um, and then there are a lot of people who also feel like uh, this was um, this was uh, justice unserved and that it's been re-traumatizing for his victims and for generally victims of, of sexual abuse and violence. Uh, personally, I have to say that I saw this coming. You know, I remember this testimony being brought up by uh, his defense team. And I was actually surprised that they that it was still used in the courts. And, and I think a lot of people, a lot of lawyers and attorneys have said that they saw this coming as well. I'm not an attorney. I didn't follow the case that closely, but even I kind of saw that coming. But I think it's important for us who do believe that Bill Cosby is a predator, that he is an abuser, uh, that we continue to hold him accountable in the court of public opinion, even though in the court of law, he is a free man um, and he's quote unquote uh, innocent in, in the legal term. Uh, but there are a lot of people who really feel like it's brought up a lot of, um, it's brought back up this conversation about believing survivors uh, and victims of sexual assault. And Shauna, I know you have a lot of opinions about this particular topic. Um, and so first tell me, what was your reaction to the ruling? Um, and how do you think these women, these other uh, women who have accused him of sexual assault, how Andrea Constance should feel, uh, given the fact that he is now a free man. So hearing this, um, I was I was I was very pissed off, uh, but twofold. One, because I wholeheartedly believe that Bill Cosby should be spending the rest of his blind bug eyed days behind bars. So for me, my heart breaks for the victims. Uh, my heart breaks for honestly myself and any other survivors of sexual assault. 
Um, it's it's frustrating to to know that he's he's off and he's out. And granted, and I wrote a I wrote in uh, op-ed about this last week that has given a lot of feedback, <laughs> both positive, a lot of negative. Um, but it it really comes down to yes, there was a myth quote unquote miscarriage of justice in the in terms of his due process was violated. That is due to an incompetent prosecutor. Not surprised because that prosecutor was also Donald Trump's in, uh, the impeachment attorney. Not surprised. It it it's it's clown city over there. However, Bill Cosby is an admitted serial predator. I honestly, it's not even so much about Bill Cosby that has disgusted me the last week. It has been more so the reactions about it. There were uh, Bill Cosby's out celebration uh, club parties in Atlanta, um, which whoever the hell did that flyer whoever the hell posted that event, whoever the hell attended that event, y'all can go straight to Hades. Truthfully, I promise you. Um, That's one. Two, the likes of Felicia Rashad, Stephanie Mills, and even Notori Naughton, who could really have just sat there and ate her chicken that Keely Williams threw at her face. She could have just sat there and ate it, but no. Everybody wants to come out with their opinions. Now, let me get one thing straight. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. I will continue to say it because you mealy mouth broads will never silence me. You cannot have a difference of opinion about rape. You cannot have a difference of opinion about sexual assault. That is not a difference of opinion. Now, if you choose Felicia, to sit up here and believe that just because your fake television husband is out here not assaulting women, although he admitted it, although he admitted it, and you as the dean of a black college that has its own rampant sexual assault problem, maybe this is something that's, maybe my tweet about this miscarriage of justice is best left for the group text. Maybe this is best left for, let me call Camille. Cause you know what's funny? You know what's so funny to me? Camille has shut her mouth. Camille, I think I've heard maybe one or two stories about Camille since this whole thing for the last couple of years. Camille been shutting the hell up and staying out of it. Camille been staying out the fray. Bill's daughters have been staying out the fray. I wonder why. Not saying that they, you know, suddenly believe that their their father or their husband is, is guilty, but I'm just saying they know how to shut up. Felicia, in all of her wiseness, and let me tell you something. I want to go on record and say this. I love Felicia Rashad. You want to ask me something? You want to see me get really in my bag? Give me a moment to even sit up here and quote uh, Claire Huxtable lines. I will sit here and talk to you about going to Baltimore for big fun. I'll tell you that all day. I love Felicia Rashad. And it's because I love Felicia Rashad that it is heartbreaking that she is such a damn disappointment. As a black woman, as an elder, she's a disappointment. Stephanie Mills, ma'am, I don't even know why you talking. 
I don't, I, I, a lot of us forgot you, that you existed, ma'am. A lot of us thought you were in the in memoriam joint last year. I, quite frankly, I forgot that you were around, but you wanted to make sure that people had your, your name on their tongues. Stop it. I already mm -hmm. see it. I already peep it. Notori, you shoulda, you coulda and shoulda just shut up and minded your business. You coulda and shoulda just shut up and minded your business. The same way how when 50 Cent was out here talking about your, your missing edges, ma'am, and we was over here dragging him because he could have and should have just minded his own damn business. You could have and should have shut the hell up. Nobody asked you. Notori, don't you have a show coming out? <laughs> yeah, Notori has a show coming out with my girl, Brandy. I don't need Notori bringing negative uh, press to, to Queens on ABC, I believe. I wanted to jump in real quick because, you know, I too was very disappointed by... Felicia Rashad, Stephanie Mills, now Notori, uh, speaking out, because I think it's really important to, while you might disagree, while you might think that Bill Cosby is innocent, or even if you know that he's not innocent, but you still wanna, you wanna support him, do that privately, because this is a very polarizing uh, topic, not just Bill Cosby's case, but the case of rape, the case of sexual assault. And I am a victim of, of, of abuse. I was molested as a child. And I understand, you know, not seeing what someone did as the totality of who they are. Because in my unique situation, the, the man who molested me, I was uh, really young, 11, 12, 13 years old. He was in his 30s. Uh, but this person was a, was, a, was a family friend, someone that I loved, someone that I trusted. Um, there is very, it's, it's very complicated. I don't want to get too much in details. But I, to this day, I do not see him as a monster. But you will never see me publicly uh, support him or say anything, you know, necessarily kind about him because I know what he did to me. And I know that he may have done that to others. And what bothers me about the Felicia Rashad and, and Stephanie Mills is that you are a close friend of his. You are clearly biased in this case. And so you, we, even if we can assume that maybe you do support them, but do you really have to express that publicly at the expense of the dozens of women who have accused this man of doing what he has done, the consistency in those accusations, mind you, um, Think about the, the harm that you can you can be causing other people by your words, knowing that you are a public figure, knowing that the moment that you tweet this message that is going to be spread far and wide. And so there was no consideration for these women. There was no consideration for other people who are not victims of Bill Cosby, but just victims in general. Um, this is a very serious topic. How, 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 how do we get here, given uh, the Me Too movement and all that 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 movement has created in terms of public discourse. So to go from that, where we're holding people accountable, we're having these conversations in, on large arenas in Hollywood in particular, and then all of a sudden, uh, where we are, um, we are rallying around Bill Cosby. And so much of it has to do with this, this attachment to Bill Cosby uh, as Cliff Huxtable. Uh, we see Cliff Huxtable, but we don't realize that Bill Cosby is a, is a man. He's a flawed man like anybody else. And my problem with our community is that, yes, we all love the Cosby show. I could probably watch it today and still have the same um, connection uh, and, and, and feelings of euphoria when I watch it. But at the end of the day, he is not that character. You know, he, he is, Bill Cosby is not 
Black America's father. Cliff Huxable was Black America's father. I think the problem is that we just we just refuse to accept the fact that he could possibly have done this. And Bill Cosby, like you said, he admitted to giving quaaludes to women. He admitted to having sex with these women and doing sexual things. But then we're acting like this man was like um, that he was a perfect husband to his wife. And and, you know, even even aside from being an accused rapist, the man was was not faithful to his wife and admitted to that. So he's not perfect, right? So if we can agree on at least that, let's start there. But people don't want to have these conversations because they, they want to hold on to their idols. They want to refuse to believe that their idols could do something terrible. But I've done terrible things in my life, not nothing, nothing close to that. But we, we are not perfect. And so I think that's where we, that's the issue in our community because we are refusing to separate the character from the man. Mm-hmm. And I think, but I think that it, it goes even deeper than that. I, because I would, I would venture to say the younger generation is doing that. The older generation, Judge Joe Brown, is, it, it always baffles me. And I, I remember seeing this, especially at the height of the Me Too movement and seeing especially like the old black men in my family who were like, oh, well, you know, well, back in the day, we were able to, you know, do da 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 da. And I'm like, did you think then that it was right? It has never been right. It has never been okay. It has always been harassment. It has always been sexual assault. It has always been rape. It has always been a terrible thing and a terrible experience for women. And you all have, and it's just because people weren't talking about it. It's because people were getting away with it. It's because women weren't sitting here and saying, get the F off me. This is wrong. This is my body. This is my personhood. You are violating it. No one was doing that. And in the few times in which women were, they got completely just shat on <laughs> in the media, in, in, in our, in our, in our communities, in our families, et cetera, et cetera. They were vilified. They were shamed. They were told that they were the ones who were out here whoring it up. So let's talk about it. Y'all keep trying to this prehistoric nonsense into when it comes to talking about women being able to have autonomy over their bodies, when it comes to talking about women not being violated. It's wrong and y'all are gonna have to either catch up or die like the rest of them i'm sick and tired of it 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 you're 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 whatever y'all had popping here in your 60s 70s 80s it means nothing it means nothing it means nothing it was still wrong it was still trash yeah and i i also want to just quickly add because i think so much of the generational divide on this conversation is because one there were things that was that just happened that was seen as normal. Um, but also one thing my therapist had told me when I was sh- going to share my molestation with someone in my life, uh, he told me to be prepared if the person's reaction wasn't what I wanted it to be, because you never know the person could be triggered by you sharing something like that because it could have happened to them too. And so sometimes people defend things, especially in an aggressive manner by which we saw some people, um, it could be connected to the fact that you yourself are, um, have been molested or raped or, or you were the perpetrator yourself. And so by me uh, acknowledging what Bill Cosby allegedly did, then I have to admit what happened to me 
or what I have done. And so we also have to keep in mind that the psychology of this is, is rather deep for some people and that it, while on the, on the surface, it's just them defending uh, what they believe, but underneath that are some deep emotional, psychological, mental traumas connected to the conversation about assault and abuse um, and unhealthy ways of sex. Um, and so this, these are conversations that we really need to keep having in our community because there's a lot of shame around talking about sex and consent still, despite the years we've been talking about this given the Me Too movement. But we have a long way to go because there are generations of, of adults who didn't have the space to, or the capacity to have these conversations. And while we're having it in real time, there's clearly a resistance. Um, and so I always try to bring in uh, enlightenment and compassion. And I think that it's important to recognize that sometimes people are just not ready to have certain conversations and that's okay. But be mindful of how you use your voice and your platforms if you, if you have that privilege, uh, because you, again, you could be causing harm to people who are impacted by these conversations in very real ways. But I, I wanna also point out that the Cosby case um, is not about sex, it's about power and abuse. Um, and so I wanna pivot away from this conversation because it's really heavy, Shauna. I mean, we can talk about this all day, but I wanna talk about reclaiming our power um, and our agency as we talk about sex. And I, we have the perfect guest to dive into this conversation. Mm-hmm. All right, and so <laughs> anybody who knows me knows the answer, my, or rather my answer to this question. So we're not even going to get into that right now. Jaren, how well are you comfortable or, and or how comfortable are you talking about sex? Uh, I would say I'm comfortable talking about sex with uh, close friends. And so uh, for me growing up, I never was comfortable talking about sex because one, I'm gay. And so there was a lot of shame around my sexuality. So by extension, uh, there was no conversation about sex. And if I'm being honest, I think my parents didn't really want to have that conversation because there were really early signs that I was gay. And so they chose to just ignore that. And so by extension, there were conversations about uh, wrapping it up, the birds and the bees. Whenever sex came on television or movies, when I was with my parents, they would cover my eyes and, and, and all that. And as I came into my uh, sexuality, I had to figure out everything on via television and media, which wasn't really a lot, especially if you're for black queer love. And so I went through my life by trial and error. Um, and so I started having sex as a teenager. Um, I don't want to get too personal, but, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I just learned from friends who had experienced before, uh, partners who I um, got involved with. I, some of them were more experienced than me. And so today at 32 years old, I still carry some of that shame if I'm being honest around sex. And so I definitely guard who I share my sexual experiences with. Um, but generally, I will say that I'm not necessarily a prude. I, I, I can talk about sex. I think it's important to have that healthy conversation. Uh, but I grew up in the Black church, so that's another added layer. Like in the church, they, they definitely don't talk about sex. And then they have this idea that you have to be married uh, before you have sex. And, you know, there was once a time that same-sex marriage wasn't even legal. So there's a lot of complicated um, 
things around sex for me that I'm still navigating through. But when I do uh, choose to have sex, I have learned to become vocal about what I like and what I don't like, because at the end of the day, nobody wants to have boring sex or unfulfilling sex. And uh, the day I, I would say maybe my late 20s, I, beca I became more vocal with my partners and it's definitely made sex a lot better and healthier and more. And I experience sex so much better now that I'm able to vocalize that. Um, I used to be scared to share those things. Um, but I want to ask you, Shauna, um, as a woman, especially like what age were you when you if you even are vocal about your, your desires in the bedroom, like how old were you when you were having those conversations with your partner? Oh, Jared, you know me. I've been vocal for a very long time. Um, <laughs> but I will say, so before I even answered that, that particular section, so to kind of preface it, um, I've been very cognizant of sex, like for a really long time. Um, my parents were, were great parents. I always talk about them, but uh, you know, certain things we had bootleg cable at one point in time. So that was when you had, you know, all the channels. So I, at a very young age, actually was pretty, uh, I, there was the Spice Network. Um, and mm. yeah, and the Spice Network showed everything, you know, um, there was a Skinamax anytime after I think like 11 p.m., the Cinemax channel, that was some good softcore lady porn, okay? It was, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, my mom loves to tell the story. She's like, I think she was like, uh, she said I was like maybe like four or five or something like that. And I had gotten like really used to knocking on their door before I just burst into the room. And she's like, and I don't know what started causing it. She's like, but one day you knocked on the door and it's like, you peeked your head around and like, are y'all in here rubbing bellies or can I come in? Mm. And I was like... <laughs> Listen, a four-year-old knows what time it is, okay? It, it's clearly it's adult time. <laughs> I just want to make sure y'all are cool. Um, and so for me, you know, talking about sex, I've actually found myself, people have tried to shame me for how open I am about talking about sex. Um, at a fairly, I'd, I'd say at a fairly young age, um, I, well, I didn't even start having sex until about 17. Um, and really hit my stride in my twenties in college and a little bit after college of really like being able to understand, okay, you know what, this is not something that I'm going to be shamed about. No one is ever going to shame me for my experiences. Listen, I had home moments. They were excellent. They were wonderful. And you know why? Because I embrace, okay. My, my, my whole, my whole count, my wholeness. It was amazing. It was it was inspiring. And because of that, I could sit here at 34. And if I am receiving oral sex from a, from a man who doesn't really know what he's doing, I'm going to tell you, sir, I don't know what is this sandpaper situation that you're trying to engage in with my lady parts. Like it's, it, no, um, I'll say, you know, especially as a woman and you are kind of, no one ever actually says it, but you're conditioned to believe that the pleasure that you're having, or rather that your pleasure doesn't really matter. Your pleasure comes secondary to men, especially in like cis hetero situations that your, your pleasure comes second to men. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> if you have to, what did Megan say? If you, if you have to ask me if I came boy, 
<laughs> like, no, don't ask me nothing. No, you, I, no, I did not. Yeah, you know what? As a matter of fact, yes, I did come. I came over here for no damn reason. Give me my panties and give me my shoes <laughs> so that I can leave. Um, I, I'll say as I've gotten older, I've been able to be a lot more vocal. I've been able to, um, you know, I, I, I think I stopped faking orgasms and I know there's going to be some angry people in my messages from this, but I stopped faking orgasms around 26, 27. If I don't get them, it ain't happen. So how are you going to make sure I got it? <laughs> Period. Cause I'm not here to soothe your ego and I'm not here to make sure that, that you're good. But I'm over here trying to finish myself off in the bathroom quietly. No, no, we're not doing that. So, yes, uh, vocaling, vocalization is never been an issue. <laughs> for real, for real. <laughs> uh, you know, it's and it's one of those things that I, I wish nothing but empowerment for other women and really just anyone who's having sex in general. It's mm-hmm. it's fun, y'all. Listen, mm-hmm. Jesus had sex. Jesus had fun. There's a period of time we ain't know what Jesus was doing. And I believe <laughs> that the Lord had his whole count. That's all I'm saying, Mary Magdalene. So, you know, but that's fine. Let's get into the show. <laughs> Today, we are joined by Lydia Bonilla, my good sis, uh, who is a pleasure strategist committed to women having lives full of power, pleasure, and intimacy. Her signature program, The Pleasure Reset, is a transformational three-month course into radical self-acceptance and self-mastery around desire and pleasure in all areas of life. She was also the founder of House of Plume, an intimate lifestyle brand that provides the discerning consumer with storage options for their pleasure items. In other words, a cute place for you to store all of your sexual accoutrement. (laughs) She is the co-founder and advisor of the Women of Sex Tech, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to merging sex and technology. Her work has been covered by the New York Times, Refinery29, Forbes, and Essence Magazine. Lydia, my sis, welcome. Thank you for having me and happy to be here. It's a pleasure to have you, Lydia. Um, so first, I was reading that you are actually uh, raised in a conservative background. And I wanted to ask you, at what point were you introduced to sex? And when did maybe your thoughts around sex change? Mm, when was I introduced to sex? That is um interesting question. So it, it wasn't necessarily the act of sex that I remember being introduced to, but rather the, um, the experience of what pleasure looks like, what power looks like. So my mom is a um, Jehovah witness. My parents are Dominican and Cuban. And um, so I was, I grew up in, in kingdom hall. And I, I recall. Um, uh, so just to say about how Jehovah Witnesses teach religion is that it's very image based. So they have all of these, like these books and like, they do all these things, um, you know, where they, they show you pictures and all that. And I remember being in service and they were showing um, a picture of what I now know to be Mary Magdalene. And they were, uh, you know, depicting her as a harlot and, and all of this and a whore. And I remember going, looking at her and going, I want to be like her because she, you know, was looking directly at whoever was, you know, drew this, this, this drawing. And she had a, a shoe dangling from her foot and she had a chalice in her hand and she looked gorgeous. I was like, I want to be, I want to be like her. Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to be like her. 
And from mm-hmm. from there, I just I got curious about women that um, that live like that. You know, I got I got curious about about prostitution. I got curious about sex work. I, I got I was really curious about what I call now like the impossible women of, of history, like Cleopatra and, and Queen Sheba. You know, these women have just did all these great things and kind of just and also like disappeared from history too. So it's it's never it was I can't recall like something directly sexual, but rather like this is what powerful women look like, and a lot of powerful women or quote unquote like you know pe- women who have done groundbreaking things had done um, questionable things with their sexuality. Okay, cool. So. And I I know that I've noticed this, but what shift, Lydia, have you, you know, in particular noticed in recent years in terms of people owning their sexuality? I mean, like male, female, cis, trans, you know, every everyone in between. Well, what I've noticed is that people are more willing, are more open to talking about it and more open to talking about um, what they're what they're curious about. Um, it, you know, people are now putting in their profiles, like their dating profiles, that they're that they're poly and or ethical monogamy, you know, non-monogamy, you know, most sort of things. So I think what what I see is that there's a lot of um, terms that people are more comfortable speaking speaking about, and they have more more of a language to really talk about sex. Uh, though I still see, you know, the same, which is like still seeing the, the, the I wouldn't say immaturity, but a lack of a w- self-awareness about the power of sex. You know, like people are still, you know, you think like, for example, a guy, I, I remember I told a, a crowd of um, like tech entrepreneurs that um, I said, yeah, you know, you can't make me come. And they were like, what? Yes, I can. And I'm like, and it was, so, I mean, I never seen this crowd was riled up about it, like angry. And I said, you know, it's, it's, it's not that you, it's, it's, it's more that my orgasm is my responsibility and yours is yours, your responsibility. So this idea that your self-worth yourself, your value as a man comes from making me come is, is no, that's not, that's not empowering. Although I can say some, I read somewhere uh, that apparently for women who are engaging in um, what, well, heterosexual sexual relations, uh, that they're coming like maybe 40 to 50% as opposed to women who are, you know, with, with, with other women who are coming a whole that I guess what would be your I mean do do the sisters just need to go find other sisters who know how to how to do this or is it like what how does this work well well you know the orgasm gap is is real and you know there's a lot of incredible women doing work around dealing with with the orgasm gap uh though one thing I would say about that is that it is is actually normal not there's some people that are that don't experience orgasm and that is actually normal too um Mm -hmm. and it's and it's okay so the fact that that women are with women orgasm more that's just that's just the that's just the knowledge that women know their bodies and therefore this woman would be better equipped to to know you know what what you would like 
But that's that's really just a lack of conversation, a lack of communication about what you like and be able to, you know, be able to have the, the open spaces to have the, the dialogue about mm-hmm. it. And Lydia, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned monogamy. And I really want to ask a question about monogamy because this comes up in the gay community a lot. A lot of I know notice a lot of same sex couples now having non-traditional uh, relationships and they're open to some degree. And I think it also comes up uh, when it comes to heterosexual relationships, because there's this idea that men uh, are, can't be faithful. So I want you to sound off. Can people can we be monogamous? Is it is it too un, is it too uh, is it unrealistic to have a monogamous relationship? I don't think it's unrealistic. I do think, though, if you if you if you talk about, um, you know, the you know, history of human beings on this planet, a good part of the time was not was spent with men not being monogamous. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's more of a conversation about like, you know, evolution and, and all of that though people use that same information and go well that's why you know it's natural for a man to be with multiple women and so on and so forth um i think it's just really i think it's a choice and there there are certain things about us that as humans that that make monogamy more difficult so <laughs> this was one of my uh, my like sideline questions squirting uh <laughs> for so now i've 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 experienced my my own you know whatever's with that um is squirting a thing because you know more times than not i hear usually from women who haven't been able to do it or you know men who are like that's not that's not a thing that's that's pee she's peeing on you bro uh <laughs> what do you say to those people that's that's totally yeah that's totally a thing there's some women that that have that capacity mm-hmm. yeah that's 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 it i i don't i don't you know there's there are women that'll say um that their orgasm that results in that is, is more powerful and there are mm-hmm. others that that won't it's you know sex is a you know very in, in individualized thing. It's a very individualized experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, okay. All right. You squirt. All right. You don't. (laughs) Got you. So moving on to a topic that comes up often also is the size of a man's package. So let's sound off. Does size really matter or is it really about how you work it? All right, I was gonna. I have my own thoughts. All right, I was gonna try to answer that question straight face, but apparently I could not. Um, so it's it totally matters. It totally matters. It it totally matters uh, upon you know for for the woman and, and where she and how and how she likes to how she likes to experience sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I'm there. I have friends who are crazy about girth. Don't I don't love it. I'm like okay. I could I could do without that. Um, and there are others that that for for them, length is more important than the other people that, you know, neither one is is really is really that important. It's just it, women are built differently. However, mm-hmm. I would say that if you are a guy who who's not particularly particularly well endowed, there are things that you can do. There's tools that that you can incorporate. The question is, are you going to or do you have the self-awareness to to use them? 
Um, yeah, so I'm actually like so glad that you asked that question, G, because I'm always wondering, it's like, does it matter for gay men? You know what I mean? Like, like, so I know at least like what Lydia says, you know, I too have friends who are all about the length. Me, I'm not a, I'm not a length girl that I don't know if I got like a, a a shallow uterus or something. You just feel like it's stabbing me, bro. Get off me. Uh, you know, I'm girth. Yes. Like, (laughs) like just let's have that kind of fun. Like, this is what I like. Um, I've had friends who actively seek out like smaller men, like that's their zhuzh. Uh, <laughs> like that, that is, that's their thing. Um, I've had, I've had experiences with, I've had experiences with certain men who are, you're just like, I don't know where you think that you're putting that, but it's not going anywhere near me. Um, and then if you have uh, what my experience has been, sometimes those who like, are carrying, carrying are terrible. Like it's just either rabbit sex or they're just like, because they have that size, they don't feel like they have to put in effort anywhere else. It's almost like a woman who starfishes in bed. It's just like, what, come on now. Like, what, what are we doing here? Um, so I guess, I, I mean, this, this isn't really a question for Lydia. This is more so for you, D. I know you can't speak for all of the, the gay brothers out here, but you know, does it matter? <laughs> I would agree with Lydia. I think it, it it depends on the individual. Some people, I I have friends who like a certain size, and you know, we call them size queens. Yes. Um, and me personally, I'm not a person who I prefer to be a normal size. <laughs> Just I'm more about connection, you know. Mm-hmm. So if I'm connecting. That makes the sex more pleasurable. But I've had experiences where there it's just too big. And you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to give too much information out there, but <laughs> but I think it, it does it does come down to the individual for sure. Yeah. All right. So Lydia, my final question for you is how important is it to, and this is for anyone, but to vocalize what you want and need sexually from your partner? It's incredibly important, you know, and it's it's not just it's not important just important to be able to get quote unquote the result you want, but really mm-hmm. what it does, it builds your own, builds your own confidence. It, it uh, validates your self-worth that, you know, you uh, having a great experience really matters. And that is, you know, those are actions that will take you to, you know, other areas of life. You know, I always, you know, my work is based upon definite, you know, the, a broad definition of pleasure, which is some, some pleasure can't, I mean, sex can't be pleasurable, ho- pleasurable. However, it's not the whole gamut of, of sex, of pleasure rather. So, you know, pleasure I define as, as a state of joy and, and, gratif- and uh, gratification. And that could be, that could be found uh, anywhere. So it, it really is about like, you know, owning yourself and owning your own value that you matter and that the experience that you're having matters. Uh, so what an awesome conversation, Lydia. It's been a pleasure talking to you. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gents, uh, you know, let's stop going unsatisfied in the bedroom. If you aren't going to enjoy it, it might as well just not waste your time. Like, just don't do it. So <laughs> remember, there are self-pleasure toys out there for a reason. It, listen, we should all be able to enjoy a little shaboing, boing, boing. <laughs> Thank you.
We want to remind our listeners to please support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Women of Sex Tech. Women of Sex Tech is a digital safe space dedicated to internally radicalizing and externally hacking the next trillion dollar industry. Their professional network is currently available to women and femme identifying individuals who are interested in learning or collaborating at the cross-section of sex and technology. For more information, visit their website at www.womenofsextech.com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. And of course, please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments. We love those to podcast at thegrill.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grill and executive produced by Blue Salusma and co-produced by Taji Sr., Brenda Alexander, and Abdul Kadus.